Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's up, everybody? Joe McCall, Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. Got a special episode today with a good friend of mine, Jim Manning. He's actually here in St. Louis. He's a Cardinals fan. Go Cardinals as I switch my hat. So I just wanted to um, say hi. And I want to let you know, this podcast is brought to you by something brand new that I'm doing. I'm excited about this. You better get used to me talking about it because I'm going to be talking about it every chance I get. It's a new program I just launched called Partner with Joe. Man, I could talk for an hour about this. I don't want to take up any more of Jim's time. But like, here's the thing. Go to partnerwithjoe.net right now because I have a free calculator I'm going to give to you. This cash offer calculator helps you analyze deals, come up with a Zillow, I mean, come up with an ARV, help you estimate repairs. And then it creates an actual offer that you can send to sellers. And it's pretty amazing. It's awesome. You want to go check it out, go look at it. You get it for free at partnerwithjoe.net. I have a special program in there where I started a whole new course and um, it's just amazing. So check it out, partnerwithjoe.net. I wish it's like, it's the, the, I am the, I am super, super proud of this thing. I've been working for the last six months on it. Finally got it released. You now have the ability to partner with me for just $7 on deals. If you want, you don't have to partner with me on deals, but in this 30 day class, I'm going to walk you through all the steps and how to do your first deal, the fastest, simplest, easiest way possible. And I spent a lot of time in this thing, giving you a lot of extra cool bonuses. You get the free cash offer calculator for free, but then I have this premium calculator that helps you calculate lease option offers, owner financing offers soon, subject to offers. It's just insane. It's really awesome. And I know you're going to get a lot of value out of this. I even started doing weekly webinars to my list who are a part of this where I just teach and I share all the things that are working now for us and in our business today. And so go check it out, partnerwithjoe.net. All right, enough of that, huh? Let's bring on Jim Manning from Doors to Deals or Three Doors. What do you go by now, Jim? What is it? Uh, so Three Doors is our St. Louis company. And then we have a podcast, Doors to Deals is kind of uh, the podcast that we have. Nice. Rock and roll. I've known Jim for a long time. He is in St. Louis. He's a realtor and an investor. Would you would you call yourself an investor agent or an agent investor, Jim? Uh, I'd go with investor agent. So when I nice. got my license like 13 years ago, uh, it was because I didn't trust, they call me paranoid, but I didn't trust anyone to run comparables for me. I wanted <laughs> to have full control over that. Yeah. Uh, but I got it so I could flip houses and, and um, just kind of look at the market. So yeah. And what year was that? Uh, so that was back in 2008. So I've been doing this thing for 13 years and I've been uh, a broker since 2011, actually. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So one of the things that you're really good at is helping realtors find a path to financial freedom. You know, a lot of realtors are stuck in this treadmill of not being able to just going from listing to listing. And uh, you really help agents don't you with finding a uh, building a long-term wealth portfolio because you know the realtors they're so good at real estate but they ignore many times the 
the things in real estate that can give them freedom, like long-term wealth building, cash flowing assets, right? All they're doing is chasing listings and they're not thinking about investment opportunities. So first, before we get there, actually, let's rewind a little bit, Jim. How did you get started in real estate? Uh, yeah, so I got started. I ended up out of college. I got a corporate America job and it felt like there was a leech just slow, like connected to my neck and just slowly draining my lifeblood away from me at this corporate America job. I remember thinking like, it doesn't matter how good of a job I do. My boss doesn't know I could do an amazing job or a poor job and the world doesn't notice either. Like there's no value added to the world. Uh, so I started searching and for something that I could do, uh, that I could not only make good money in, but can make an impact on. And I fell in love with the concept of real estate investing. My now business partner, Ryan Wessels, was doing it at the time. And I was like, well, if that guy's doing it, why can't I do it? So I started studying, you know, I did the whole rich dad, poor dad. And, you know, like a lot of people kind of look at that book as kind of an entrepreneurial yeah. stepping stone. Um, oh, yeah. And so that's kind of the same way with me too, like just to get that entrepreneurial itch and made 20,000 on my first flip. I thought I was rich because I was a 23 year old kid and, and got in full time <laughs> right after after I was able to first do my first flips. When did you do your first flip? Uh, so that was in 2008. And what was interesting is, is I started studying in 2007 and it took me 18 months to find my first deal and do the first flip and and make and make that profit. So why, why do you think it took you so long? I think I thought I had to know everything. I think I was very insecure. So what I found is that people kind of typically fit into two buckets. One is the, the overanalyzer and like you have to study everything. And then the other type is you just go out there and you do a bunch of things, but that's dangerous because, you know, if you don't have the right mentorship, the right people are around you, you might make some mistakes. So I was kind of in analysis paralysis. This yeah. was before some of the great podcasts like your show, Joe, out there that uh, and, and some of the resources on YouTube. So I just kind of kept studying and studying and I didn't want to talk to anybody about it because I don't want them to, I don't want <laughs> them to know that I didn't know anything, that I was this brand new newbie. And I love sharing this story because uh, so Ryan and I are uh, record years. We did 565 deals back in uh, uh, a couple years ago, back in 2019. And Say that again. Uh, 565 deals. In in uh, 2019. So yeah, we've done Ooh. over 2000 deals, right? What, how did you do those deals? What kind were they? REOs or something? So you name it, uh, typical lead generation, whether that's through networking, uh, direct mail marketing, a little bit of pay-per-click. And one of the reasons why we got to the volume we did was uh, through networking, we bought 150 houses and a couple package deals. Um, so yeah, so that ended up getting us there. And, and the reason I like to share, like, kind of like Good my you. people awesome. is, is yeah, we're doing all these crazy things, but if you're brand new, compare yourself to Jim Manning. When I started, that was one deal in my first 18 months. And I, there's so many people that get into this that just blow me out of the water when they start out and, um, uh, be careful not to kind of measure yourself based on if, if you see another really successful investor, you see another yeah. really successful, per, uh, professional out there, like you're seeing thir a 13 year body of work here at place at play with what we're doing now. So, so yeah. Okay, cool. So that's a lot of deals. And you started really focusing in on your niche of working with realtors and working as an agent. You started your own brokerage, didn't you? Yeah, we did. So yeah, so we've been working with realtors since 2010. And what happened in our journey was we were investing where we Ryan and I started out just doing short sales because that was kind of the craze. Uh, Joe, I think you were doing, weren't you doing back in 08 and 09, weren't you doing short sales? Today? I was trying to. Okay. <laughs> but 
No, I was doing le- lease options mainly. Uh, because I remember, so Joe, this is how far I've known of Joe. So was it Chamberlain Holdings? What was yes. the name? Yeah. Uh, so, so it was like, there was like one website doing like pay-per-click marketing and, it had, you know, like, and, and like trying to generate leads. And I remember it was Joe. So I looked at Joe's, I started studying it and then I started doing it too. So then there was two <laughs> that I knew of. This is to like date how old we are that, you know, now it's been a craze and a ton of people do it. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. so yeah, so I remember like studying your website kind of as you're getting going and oh yeah that was a long time ago going, but but yeah that was back in the days where wordpress was just going on so the websites were super clunky you name it but <laughs> um but yeah that's I have ADD really bad guys. So I went down a little bit of a, a bunny trail there, but. <laughs> well, you were, were you going to the wind meetings back then? And what were some of the other big, the street, remember the street meetings? Yeah. So I, the big, one of the biggest mistakes I made guys was I let my ego of wanting to know things like blind me. I was leery. I didn't, I was like, man, is somebody going to take advantage of me if I start getting out of the world and talking to people on or are they going to see me as not good enough because, uh, because. I didn't know because I was this brand new newbie. So like, like, like that really hurt me um, because one of the ways, one of the most important things that you can do is surround yourself with the right people. And what's that saying? And the saying is, is you, yeah, your net worth ends up being the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Yeah. And I was hanging out with my middle-class parents. Uh, I love you, mom and dad, if you're listening to this, <laughs> uh, but my mom was a teacher. My dad's an IT guy. Right. And yeah. they were deathly afraid. They put literally they put like the fear of God in me on becoming an entrepreneur and starting out on my own. Like, like they did not want that from me. They wanted Isn't that crazy? Why? You know, God bless our parents. But why do why do parents do that? Yeah, I think it's almost like a protection thing. Yeah. Like, well, if he does this thing and he works hard and then he fails and he loses money, like, like, oh, I don't want him to get hurt. I don't want him to feel bad. And the moment, I remember the moment, Joe, I remember the moment when I finally was able to break through like kind of their negativity for this and and get into real estate full time. I remember thinking and I said, okay, I was on my deathbed and I was looking back and like, who would I rather be? Would I rather be the guy that played? You were were imagining you're on your deathbed? If I'm imagining my deathbed. I was wondering if you really were. Yeah, no, no, that's a... I had some medical stuff we can get into if it goes there. But but if I was on my deathbed as an old man, looking back on my life, and I had two options. Option one, I played it safe. I had a good retirement account. I always had a good corporate America job. I had some money in the bank. So like I was kind of set financially. Or option B, but I, uh, but I always, in option one, I always had that nagging doubt. Why should I have tried that real estate thing? But I never had the balls to go for it. Okay, so that's option one. Option two, I'm I'm broke. I'm on my deathbed. I don't have a penny to my name, but I knew that I went for it and I gave it a shot. Who would I rather be? And I thought about it. I'm like, 10 out of 10 times. I'd rather be the guy that goes for it and knows. And I had the knowledge. Like, like how did I do when I got out of the game? Like to not have that regret. So I actually, so it shifted my mindset from being afraid of what my parents were telling me or afraid of kind of like that rejection or afraid of that failure, it shifted it to being afraid of regret. And then at that point, it was clear. It was like, no, I'm doing this thing. So the second I got, you know, I kind of made the profit on that first flip. I was like, man, I'm 23 years old. I got some money. I got over 10 grand in the bank. I feel like I'm rich. (laughs) I'm getting into full time. I'm getting into this. 
uh, I did it and, and, and there we go. But yeah, I mean, that took me about 18 months to kind of sift through that and get that clarity. Yeah. Let's talk about, well, by the way, there's a comment here. I was just writing myself a note. Do you know Scott? So Bellington Realty. Yeah. So we know, uh, yeah, Scott and then uh, so, and Ted Coyle and yeah. Yeah. Is this the same Bellington Realty? I mean, I'm trying to see if he's, he's being sarcastic and funny here or if he's serious. Do you know what happened to Bellington? Lots of stuff happened with Bellington. Well, maybe we could talk about it offline. <laughs> it wasn't yeah, so, a good story. Uh, so Scott, was Scott with Bellington? I don't know. I, I'm surprised you said Bellington Realty taught me a ton. Okay, we'll just say here, since all y'all are wondering, what are they talking about? Bellington Realty, the owner got into big, 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 big trouble with the uh, FBI, with the police. And yeah, unfortunately, he's real sad. He committed suicide. But anyway, so I'm trying to figure out what Scott is Yeah, so, Bell- what, yeah, so what Bellington was doing was they were... Were, they were collecting like deposits and like down payments on houses doing I think doing lease purchases on some of them and then they were um, they weren't making they weren't making payments uh, so like they were actually defrauding they were actually defrauding people well Scott was buying from them and then selling to them <laughs> all right you better be quiet because the, the feds may still be watching and looking after him uh, what, what a mess that whole thing was yeah, so funny, Scott. Bell- yeah, Bellington, I think it was before, uh, they were before your time. and They were definitely before my time. Yeah, look at this. He bought his first house from them in 1992 in Webster for 45 grand. Oh my gosh. Anything you can find in Webster for 45 grand is awesome. Well, anyway, long story. Okay, so your passion is helping realtors, right? It, it's helping realtors. Scott keeps on commenting here. Come on, Scott. It was a shame. It was. It was really sad. I, I have a really, really good close personal friend that uh, lost a lot of money with them. All right. So anyway, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about good stuff, good feel good stuff. No, seriously, you, you know, you have a passion for helping realtors. So talk to me about what it is door to deals. What does that mean? And, and what are you trying to do for realtors right now? Yeah. So doors to deals, like really what we're trying to do is I kind of asked myself, what did I need back then? Like back when I started versus like, what do I think I need? And I thought I needed a, a tremendous amount of like education. I spent a whole year yeah. trying to learn this craft. And what's interesting is with knowledge, like like if you have the right person that has the answer to the question in your network and you can pick up the phone and call, call them, like like that that's that's way more powerful than trying to learn everything that there is about real estate investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we're trying to do with uh, what we have going on is is develop the right group of people to help answer any sort of questions that you have and and kind of help unlock more doors to deals and help people do more good things and get to uh, financial freedom. So. And so how do you do that with the realtors? What do you teach them, coach them, partner with them? Yeah. So what we're doing with the agents is uh, the first step is we're trying to help our agents get uh, grow their core business and like elevate it, which is being a realtor. And one of the key things with financial freedom is, is really growing your, your income uh, so that you have more income that you can turn around and invest. Right. So, so I think the first step that, that kind of holds agents back is they get a, like, they get really, I was talking to a lot of them and I was asking questions and the, the majority, the biggest theme was they were really afraid, afraid of making the wrong decision, not really sure how to start, not really sure how to have the right contractors and be able to trust that the work's getting done. Uh, So the first kind of step that we do is we help them create the right network of people around them 
that will then help them kind of build some of their agent commissions and help them learn the craft while they're growing their agent business. Okay. And then once you have the that first phase done, you have the right uh, contractors, you have the right wholesalers around yourself. Um, now you can start to invest, start picking up a couple of flips. So like we have Nita's a uh, an agent, uh, she's an agent in the in our network, and uh, she was able to do a flip. She's kind of on target to making fifty k on it. And before she got exposed to all this three door stuff, she would have never in a million years even thought about it. So, yeah. but it's just like the first step is is who, not necessarily what I think. Okay, around the right people. Cool. And you you still do regular meetings with your with your team. Uh, These are really powerful. You've asked me to come and speak to them before. They're really good. What do you talk about what you do in those meetings and why they're important? Yeah, we do like your typical trainings. We talk about, I mean, you name it, lead generation strategies, negotiation strategies. uh, How do you communicate and how do you talk to people? How do you build rapport? How do you figure out what the actual problem is? Not necessarily the surface level of what someone's saying. Like, like how do you dig deeper and figure out exactly what's going on? And and I think when you get the right people around you, it's just a, it kind of allows you to hold up the mirror a little bit and say, okay, well, it's on me now. Like, like any sort of excuse I have, well, those other three other people are doing this and they're doing it at a high level. Like uh, David Stelmach, he uh, did 30 deals in his first year w- within the Three Doors Network. Well, if he did it, why can't I do it? So what skills do I need to develop? How do I need to get better? And we all get that little voice on our shoulder that says we can't do it or we're not good enough. And, and when you surround yourself with people that are doing it, it's kind of a game changer. So well, that's a huge part of what you do and why you're so good at it is you you're 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 creating a community of like-minded realtors and investors that really help each other. So it's almost like a little mastermind you have going on, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it it really is. And and yeah, I mean, again, I mean, not to 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 beat a dead horse, but that first year that I spent trying to learn everything and study, go to it wasn't YouTube University like you could do it now, but yeah. like. Like, I mean, I don't know if you guys realize, but like, how did we, how did we even survive and do any deals without YouTube and podcasts back then? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's great. And like, you can, you can study and you can, and you can learn it. And uh, there's a ton of tremendous resources out there. But if you're only learning, like I was, you forget, what do you forget? 30% of it, 50% of it, um, 80% of it just depends on who you are. But so like, it's, so it's, there's, it's like, it's, it's more than just, learning. It's like finding a mentor like Joe that can not only, not only can you learn on some of the free resources, but then you you tie in like a mentorship that has some accountability in it that helps you kind of stay on track. Joe mentioned that he has, you're able to ask him, ask questions as a part of the program. Like, so like plugging in and, and tuning in and then truly getting to to knowledge rather than just trying to read something one time and expect yourself to to be able to implement it 12 months from now when you need it, you know? So. All right, cool. Yeah. Let's talk about what are some of the challenges you see that realtors are facing today in this market that we're in now, Jim? We've got very hot market, low inventory. Uh, it's very competitive. It's hard for realtors to find listings. It's hard for investors to find deals, relatively speaking. And and I say that because, I don't know, we're still doing deals. <laughs> we're still uh, making things happen, making money in this market. 
I think there's a lot of opportunity, but sometimes people miss that, you know, and they don't see it. So what are, what are some of the challenges you are seeing with realtors that you work with right now that, that, you know, that they're frustrated with? Yeah. So what's interesting is the number one thing right now is finding deals. Finding deals is difficult. It's, it's, it's hard to do. And there's no question that the hustle right now is in finding deals. Uh, back when we first started and finding deals, you could find a, a nice cash flowing property on the MLS to pay them full asking price and have a good rental, right? But like, what's interesting is, is like finding the deals, getting like the data and starting to get out and get someone to raise their hand as far as saying they need to sell it is really just a numbers game. Like if you're not getting in front of enough homeowners, well, how much time are you spending on it? Like, are you saying you're doing it or are you actually hustling and spending four hours a day like on lead generation activities to really get in front of people? So like the first element is the finding of the deal. But then the, the actually where all the money's made is is not just getting them to raise their hand. And I mean, I think I mean, you can pay VAs to do that, but to know what to say how to say it, how to run the numbers, how to negotiate the deals. That's really where the professionals really start to clean house and really start to do do well when you have that skill set developed. Uh, so from the realtor side of things, uh, what we're seeing is, is a lot of inactivity and a lot of stuck because, well, where do I start? What do I do? Is this going to Am I going to have to sacrifice my agent business if I start spending time over over here? And the lead generation, realtors believe this or not, the lead generation for an investor and for an agent is actually the same thing. It's a homeowner that wants to sell a property. That's the same thing as trying to pick up a listing. Or, yeah. uh, but there are nuances. Like, hey, here's a cash offer. And I can also list the property for you if that cash offer doesn't work out. So, so there's, it's actually, a, a, it's kind of getting people to open up their mind to, you can do both at the same time. You can grow your agent business and you can start to invest and start to kind of get to that financial freedom. Let me ask you, Jim, if you were sitting down with a brand new realtor who's hungry, wants to start getting in the business and making money doing deals, and you were to help them create a marketing plan, if they just sat down and said, Jim, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do, what what would be some of the daily, weekly activities that you'd make sure that they were focusing on yeah. to, to generate leads, to get to get new business? Absolutely. So um, what gets tracked gets measured, or I'm sorry, what, and what gets, what gets done gets, is tracked. So your lead, the, what we do with all of our people is how many leads did you generate? How many appointments did you get? How many offers did you make? And how many deals did you get under contract? And we track that every single week. And we actually have a tool that we call the Clarity Finder, uh, where we help you figure out based on your conversion rate, what your activity level needs to be. Because like the first kind of like mistake I see a lot of people making is, is they say, hey, Jim, I don't think direct mail works. And I already know the answer to this. And I say, okay, well, well what have you done so far? And they say, oh, well, I sent out 50 postcards. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, well, it's a numbers game. I mean, a, a, uh, I mean, if you're doing really good on direct mail, I haven't looked at the stats lately, but what is it a point like a 1% return on the postcards? So, I mean, do the math, like, like you probably need to spend a couple thousand dollars and send it out to a couple thousand people uh, if you want to get to that result. So I think the first step, the first mistake I see people make is they don't kind of have the mentality of, hey, sales and acquisition is a numbers game. I have to get the word out 
to as many people as I possibly can that I want to buy their house and they don't get it out to enough people. So, okay. So as far as the new person, so it's one, okay, well, what's your activity level going to be? And then there's another thing that I really have struggled with this. Uh, Joe, you've done a track in your career uh, and knowing what I know about it, you've done a much better job at this in my opinion than what I've done uh, is uh, there's a saying called there's riches in the niches. Okay. So really being able to commit to a niche for, and that, there's different words, internet marketing calls it different things, but from a real estate standpoint, an investing standpoint, what I would call it is, is your buy box. Okay. What property are you precisely looking for? What deal are you looking for? Do you want to do creative financing deals? Do you want rental properties? Do you want to flip a wholesale to a turnkey investor? There's all sorts of different strategies, but what niche do you want to commit to? so that then you can repeat it over and over again. And as you do things over and over again, it's the same thing as shooting free throws, guys. If I want to be a world-class free throw shooter, I can't just, I can't only read a book about it. I have to go out, get to the free throw line, and I have to shoot thousands and thousands and thousands of free throws until I get really good. So what a niche does and what it helps you do is it helps you gain clarity and clarity is power. Like when you know exactly what you need to do in the morning, to get out and implement it and execute it, man, you can do that. When you're fuzzy on what your vision is, when you're fuzzy on exactly what you're trying to buy, that's going to be kind of what you find. You're not going to find much because you're trying to buy everything. So really getting that buy box dialed in and then getting that activity level up. Uh, so that's what we've... Well, I want to I want to dive deep into the details. What are those activity levels? What are you telling them to do every day, every week? Yeah. So it depends on, it really depends on the individual's goals and like how much money they want to make. But like we have, let's see here. So we have, I just sat down with an individual yesterday, Matt's his name. He's just now starting out on this journey with us and he wants to do 10 deals this year. Okay. So we just kind of do reverse engineer the math. And then we say, okay, well, if you want to do 10 deals, what percentage of, of leads can you, or appointments can you convert? Oh, well, I think I can do one out of 10. Okay. So that's 10 deals. That's a hundred appointments. Okay. And how many leads do we need to get an appointment? Okay. Maybe about maybe about 20% of the leads I generate will do that. So, and then you just kind of reverse engineer the math out. So I don't know what's, I can't do math on my head very well, but uh, what's 20% of a hundred, that's 2000. Is that right? Yeah. If you divide a thousand by 20%, I yeah, think so. so. Okay, now, you know, you need 2000 leads. Okay. And, and then, then you have to pick the strategy. Are you going to call 5,000? Thousand divided by point. <laughs> bad with it. You don't need five thousand leads a month. My, uh, my, well, the point is, you're working from your revenue backwards, right? Yeah. The way I kind of do it is like, listen, if you want to do two deals a month and you need forty leads per deal, you need eighty leads per month, right? And let's just stick with postcards. If you need what did I say, eighty leads per month, and direct mail is your only thing, you take direct eighty divided by point zero one. You need to send eight thousand pieces of mail a month, right? Divided by four, that's 2000 postcards or letters or whatever a week, right? Divided by five, that's 400 a day. Those are the daily activities. And so it works backwards from, you know, from your, if you want to do 10 grand a month, each deal is five grand and you need, so that's two deals a month. And then it's 40 leads per deal. You can't control that stuff. You can't control 10 grand, five grand, 30 to 40 leads per deal. But what you can control are those daily activities, right? So let's say you sit down with the guy, you work out the numbers. All right, you need you need uh, 80 leads a month or, or 20 leads per week or five leads per 
day, four to five leads per day. Those are people that respond to your marketing and say, yeah, I might be interested in selling my house, maybe. So like, what are some of the things you're telling them to do every day? Like spend two hours a day cold calling, send, you know, 200 letters a week, networking. What are some of the like daily activities you're wanting to see them put on their scorecard? Does it make sense? Great question. So I believe in, so my theory on lead generation, and we've done thousands of leads or whatever over the years, but my theory on it is, is to first self-identify like your skill set. Are you more on the shy side? And do you have a full-time job that is bringing you in good income? Okay, well, if you have good income coming in, your time is a little bit more limited, but you have money. Okay, so if you have the resource of money, uh, direct mail is potentially a really good, a really good avenue to go. Are you more of the type that, hey, I don't have, you know, I'm kind of doing this full time. I'm just trying to get my first deal. I don't have a lot of extra money, but I have time. Okay, and you're an outgoing personality type. I know some investors that that make over a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, and they just door knock. That's all they do. So, like, can you door knock? Can you cold call? Can you do some virtual driving for dollars, where you look at Google Maps and then kind of get out on the field, depending on on what's going on? But the so like the first step, kind of like knowing yourself, and then I would say no, then know your resources, kind of like what you have available, and then the step that people miss. Okay. The sh- it's we call it SOS a lot, shiny object syndrome. Like you forget about what it takes to be an awesome free throw shooter. So you have an idea and you say, oh, I'm going to do this direct mail. And you send out maybe a couple hundred postcards. It doesn't really work. Okay, let me Google how to find motivated sellers. Bandit sign. You put out 10 bandit signs. It doesn't really work. And you bounce to the next idea. You bounce to the next idea. You bounce to the next idea. And you forget. Well, like every time you start something new, a new lead generation strategy, that's something that you probably suck at to start with. If you start cold calling, like you're on free throw number one, if you want to get good at it, you know, show me the guy that can do it for a full year and get thousands and thousands of reps. And then you know what? That person's going to be really successful. So uh, it's the it's kind of shifting your mind to the same way an athlete would train themselves on developing your skills and, and, and making that happen. And that's one of the uh, yeah, that's one of the secrets of what we're doing and making people stay focused on what it is. So, so we give people the option, um, uh, on the when matching what their, uh, what their natural skill set is and what they want to do. Uh, when we work with individuals, I kind of don't care what you end up with, but what I do care about is, is do you stick with it for 90 days and do you do it thousands of times? Yeah, that's key, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, some of the people like uh, that we've had, we've had multiple people do 30 deals in their first year and and that's really been uh, one of the biggest keys is is getting really good at something and sticking to it. One of the big things I've learned from realtors is the power of follow-up. And t- talk about follow-up in your experience. One of the things that I think needs to be on that scorecard of the new lead generating activities you're doing is follow-up, follow-up with old leads. Talk about the importance of follow-up for you guys and how many deals are you seeing you and your students, clients, friends doing with from the follow-up? Yeah, so when you're really doing it, correctly. I don't have the exact stat on a national level. And if anyone said that, told you that, like they knew that for sure, you're not exactly going to know. But but from having just known a lot of kind of big hitters in the industry and being well networked, I hear anywhere from 50 to, to 80% of seasoned investors leads and our deals, I should say, uh, come from over 30 days of follow-up. Uh, so if you're not following up, 
uh, you're and you're just trying to chase that extra new lead, you're only going to be closing the percentage of people that are ready to make that decision in 30 days. And you're really saying no to 50 to 80% of the deals out there that you could be doing right now without the right follow-up. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely working smarter instead of instead of harder following up and nurturing that. And, and have you ever, I thought about this, Joe. Um, I think the reason why um, is kind of the same thing as like, this is kind of, this is a little bit interesting to, of an analogy, but like, like, have you all ever watched a movie and you kind of had to pee? Like, have you ever had it like, and you're just like, well, I don't have to pee that bad. So I'm going to keep watching the movie in the movie theater. But then all of a sudden, about 20 minutes go by, you're still drinking that big Coke. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, I don't care how at some point your motivation level to go to the bathroom becomes <laughs> so high. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good the movie is. It could be the best movie in the world. At some point, your life has changed. Your body has changed because you keep drinking this uh, glorious big soda, right? And you have to run to the bathroom. Well, life's a lot like that, too. Motivated sellers, it's the same thing. Like they may be, in, you may meet them in their first 30 days and then they may not just, they may have to kind of go to the bathroom, you know, but then it's 30, 60, 90, 120 days later, at some point, then maybe they lose their job or maybe their mom also gets sick or, or who knows the reason why. But at some point, people's motivations, they have and flow, they go up and down. So our jobs to be there when that when it's finally time for them to to go to the bathroom. Did I really just use that analogy? <laughs> it's fine. It works. <laughs> yeah, it works. So I'm finding that on average, you need to see three to four months of follow up. You know, five to seven touches. The plain fact of the matter is, when it comes to follow up, you know, only ten percent of realtors and investors are actually doing it, and eighty ninety percent of your deals come from the follow up. So it's easy. Actually, it's actually really, really easy to stand out in a competitive market. If you just do what everyone else isn't, everyone else isn't doing. Number one, market consistently every day. Number two, answer the stinking phone. Talk to people, right? Just make it a goal to talk to five sellers a day and you'll triple your business. Number three, send an offer to every seller you talk to. And number four, follow up with every seller you talk to every you know two to four weeks. I just think it's so simple. Why people are struggling to do deals. If you just did that stuff, talk to five people a day, Make an offer to every seller you talk to and follow up until they sell the house or they die. Follow up. You're going to do deals, even in a competitive, difficult market. Um, yeah, and here's really the other thing that I've learned with realtors too. A lot of them have old dead leads, okay? Investors, right? What if you partnered with another investor or another realtor and said, hey, listen, why don't you let me follow up with your old leads and we'll split the deals? There's so much opportunity. You guys are sitting on gold mines with your old leads. No, I could not agree with you more. I mean, absolutely. That's that's exactly that's exactly how it works, guys. And I mean, so we believe so much in follow up. We're running what we call a set or closer model on our acquisition team, uh, where we have a full time employee whose sole job is to make sure our CRM's updated right and to do the follow up. So our acquisition guys that are going out on the appointments don't have to do it. They can just kind of focus on the negotiation of the deal. And we bring in uh, we bring in our setter uh, to do that follow up because, quite frankly, uh, most salespeople, you get so busy on eating today and what the active person you're talking to, you forget about what happened 30 days ago. And more often than not, what happened 30 days ago is maybe even more likely to close than who you're talking to today. So, yeah, so we've even developed, yeah, I mean, we have a full time salaried team member that, that we have for follow up. It's that important, guys. Good. All right, well, let's talk about the market. Where do you feel like we're at? And where do you think we're going to be 
2021? You think it's going to be another really hot year, low inventory, high demand? When are you are you predicting it's going to slow down anytime soon? Yeah, so uh, it's interesting with COVID, and I've been actually kind of battling this because you know, like it's created in some markets, kind of like East and West Coast, almost like a bubble dynamic with things like really inventory shrinking, so home prices are kind of spiking up on the coast. Does and typically what happens is that the prices kind of outpace what people can afford. And then buyers go down because of it and the home prices kind of start to go down. And and um, what I don't know with COVID is, is like, is the inventory, has it shrunk like artificially because of this one-time event? And when, when the world opens back up again, like how many sellers are on the sidelines and how many, you know, what's the inventory from people that had their, uh, the forbearance and like the foreclosures delayed. Like, so, so what may happen, what's a possibility, and I don't have a crystal ball, but what's a possibility is that we kind of had this spike up in this inventory shrinkage and then things kind of settle down into more of like an, an in between, like not a buyer, not a seller market. And like the sky doesn't fall off into this massive buyer's market where we have the massive depreciation. But I mean, for the near term, I'm really bullish on the market. And I think yeah. a lot of the people that are doing a lot of the deals that I talk to are as well. And even on like the foreclosure topic, like back in on the last crash, uh, the market was already kind of an in-between market when it happened and the foreclosures. I read the stats, this was a couple of months ago, but I don't know, it was like 10 to one or 15 to one on the, as far as the percentages of distressed sellers than what we are now, even if these forbear, like these homeowners and forbearance end up getting foreclosed on. Uh, and the equity position guys, like hardly anybody had equity back in the last crash. Uh, most homeowners have 30, 40, $50,000 plus in equity right now. So even if they're in a project, they have an issue, they can just go ahead and sell it because they got enough equity to do that. So uh, this is not a repeat, you know, regardless of what happens with yeah. the I mean, regardless if we go into a recession, I don't see it as a repeat. And and I don't know if you guys know this, but three out of the last five recessions we've had in America, uh, home prices have actually appreciated. They've actually gone up. So we tend to think, okay, like the last recession that happened, oh my gosh, real estate prices fell by 20%. Well, real estate caused that crash, right? If you look at the other recessions that happened when real estate didn't cause it, uh, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of smart money. That's interesting. I've not heard that perspective before. It's really good. Yeah. There's a lot of people with a lot of money that, what do they want to do? The stock market's going up and down and sideways. What do we want to do? Well, real estate. I'm going to take some money from the stocks and I need to invest it somewhere. I don't want just to sit on the sidelines. I'm going to put it into a little bit safer of a place in real estate. So it actually, from the people that have money from uh, that want to kind of invest more in long-term buys and holds, it actually can create uh, increased demand uh, when a recession hits and when the stock market starts going. That's really interesting. Okay, cool. we got to wrap it up here, Jim. Talk about what are some of your favorite books you're reading right now? Uh, so I'm reading a book called Catalyst, uh, How to Change People's Minds. That's absolutely oh, fascinating. Interesting. Have you ever heard of that one? No. Uh -uh. Uh, so what it's basically talking about is, is like the approach that most people make is like when you have an opinion on something, you like try and like push it out. Like, I want to convince you, Joe, of my opinion. You're a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm going to tell you all these reasons why. I'm going to tell you all these reasons why being a Democrat is amazing. 
And like, and when you push your opinion on people, it kind of creates a little bit more resistance. So what a catalyst does is it's more of a passive approach to trying to kind of create rapport and kind of like dissolve some obstacles or dissolve some barriers in people's minds to kind of get on more common ground. So it's a, it's been a really good book. Yeah. Good. Anything else? Another book? The Bible. The Bible. um, uh, I read, I got all the way through it in 2020. And now I'm doing a series on actually learning how to pray. So I'm doing like a series on it. And it talks about like actually understanding and like kind of seeking understanding. So like, like I kind of looked at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, did I just waste all of 2020? Because I tried to burn through the Bible as fast as I no. could. So, <laughs> so now, you know, in my, in my middle age, maybe I'm, hopefully I'm getting a little bit wiser, but uh, I'm actually trying now to just spend 15, 20 minutes. Like I don't, I may not even get through a chapter. I might only get through a paragraph or two, but but looking at it, okay, what's the meaning behind this? Like really trying to understand mm-hmm. why we're the, heck, why were there verbs and why were the nouns used that were used? And really trying to kind of like dissect it and, and, and study it at a much more intimate level. And uh, what's interesting is, is like, um, and Sean talks about this, like there's a lot of great business lessons in the Bible. People overlook it, but there's a yeah. lot of wisdom there that can help you if you apply the principles in there to business that, uh, that can really help you. Oh, for sure. Anybody listening to this, I'd encourage you, if you're wanting some, like, how can the business, how can the Bible relate to me and my business? Just read Proverbs. Read one chapter of Proverbs or one proverb of day. And it's amazing. You'll find things in there that um, I I almost said like, well, well, it's just, I, I think wisdom is the most important thing we should be trying to grow in, right? Grow in wisdom. Why not get it from the author of wisdom himself? Just jump in the Bible and read a little Proverbs every day. And read a chapter from John. John's my new favorite book. Anyway, all right. So, uh, podcasts. What some podcasts are you listening to these days? Uh, so, podcasts. I really like uh, Gary Keller's "Think Like a CEO." Uh, huh. I don't know if you've listened to that or not, but uh-uh. I mean, so Gary is known uh, for you investors out there that aren't on the agent side of things. Gary's kind of known as a, an absolute thought leader uh, for real estate agents, and you get to tie in and learn things from a guy that's built the biggest real estate brokerage in the world. Yeah, and like you get to hear how he thinks, you get to hear how he built, how what his thoughts are on leadership, on building a team and you name it. I mean, it is. What's it called again? Think like a CEO. And yeah, Gary, yeah it's Gary Keller's on it. Uh, that's one of my favorites. Does he do it regularly? He does. Yeah. It's, I don't remember if it's like, there'll be gaps though. He doesn't do it like every week. Like he'll launch a few episodes and it might be a couple months and then a couple more will come out. Hmm. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's not like an every week thing, but. Yeah, I see it right here. It's awesome. Uh, I actually, yeah. <laughs> I was subscribed to it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I really enjoy that one. And I have a, so Doors to Deals is our podcast. So I have a podcast mentor, uh, Larry Hagner is his name with, uh, it's called The Good Dad Project. And they help, they help you in, um, they help dads and help you in your marriage, help you connect with your wife. Uh, help you kind of gain in- intimacy and and um, and one of the things that I think is overlooked as entrepreneurs, guys, is is your relationship with God and your relationship with your wife and your family or your foundation. It's the same thing as a house. If you don't have your foundation in place, everything else falls apart. So, like, I can't tell you the amount of people I've worked with in real estate that were really getting traction and really getting going, and then something happened with their family, some sort of hardship happened there, and then six months goes by, and then it's like, okay, the person's back now. You know, whether that's a contractor, investor, or you name it. So, like, if you just ignore it, 
if you ignore these <laughs> the most fundamental important relationships of your life like it's going to impact you negatively business oh, yeah. uh, professionally at some point so that's a really good resource for you on the like kind of like the personal front uh, i think he's got like matthew mcconaughey he gets all sorts of like celebrity people that he interviews it's it's pretty neat so all right any youtube channels that you like to watch right now? Not as much on the YouTube, man. I mean, I feel like a little bit of a dinosaur. It kind of, it didn't really get huge on investing until like we were already seasoned, you know? So uh, I don't really have anybody I'm following on that front. No, that's all right. Cool. All right, Jim, anything you want to wrap up with any advice you want to give to realtors listening to this and um, what you think they need to be doing? Yeah. I mean, I I think the biggest advice guys is that like, like you can do it. You know, like, like one deal, my first 18 months, you know, fast forward and we've done all the crazy deals we have, but, but the one thing that happened that I had going for me is I'm stubborn and I just kept going, even though I was doing everything wrong, I just kept going and I kept going and I kept trying to figure this thing out. And if you really want it and you want it bad enough, you can do it. So Cool. How can people reach you, Jim? What's a good website or uh, yeah, door, uh, doors to deals.com. I'm going to uh, open it up here. Right? Doors to deals.com. And yeah, we're on every major podcast player uh, out there as well. So yeah, I appreciate you, Joe. This was fun. Uh, this was fun connecting, man. I'm going to put it here on the screen. Doors to deals.com. Boom. Doors to deals.com with the slash and everything right there. All right, Jim. All right, buddy. Thanks for being on the show. This was a much better topic. We originally were going to talk about deals gone bad because I used to, I was trying to get Jim on a long time ago when I did this series called Deals Gone Bad. I just got depressing talking to all these people about their bad deals. I did think I did 25 or something, but this was much better, much more, much more uplifting Good and happy. Well, yeah, all right. I provide some value for you all and, and hope you have a great rest of the day. And Joe, thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate you. All right, guys, go check out his podcast, Doors to Deals and the website, doorstodeals.com. I like his shirt here on his website. It says, at three doors, we wear red and bleed blue. <laughs> wear red for the Cardinals and bleed blue for the uh, St. Louis Blues. Yeah, you know, Who, <laughs> The St. Louis Blues, though, I don't know. They've lost, what, 13 out of their last 14 games. That's depressing. I don't know what's going on. I think they're still um, hung over from the partying they did after they won the Stanley Cup <laughs> <Yeah>. in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you all later. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.